Well, my goodness, wherever I look in this church, musicians pop up from left and right. You are truly blessed. Thank you. Now, time is getting on. We've had a wee bit extra this morning, so I'm going to put this to the vote. If you want the shorter version of the sermon or the longer version of the sermon, for the shorter version, raise your hands. The longer version? Sorry, you've lost out. Once upon a time, there was a young teacher. His mum had just died. The family home was broken up. He had to find a new house near his work and began his first teaching job, all within the space of four weeks. He had never felt more alone. So, not knowing anybody, his neighbours or colleagues at work, just to hear the sound of another human voice in the house, he bought a small, portable, black and white TV. It was a long time ago. Because he'd not had his first installment of the salary, he bought it on higher purchase. It was a very long time ago. But having paid it off nine months later, he realized that it cost nearly 20% more than its original cost price. And so he never again bought anything until he'd saved for it. When someone is lonely, has little or no prospect of work, debts pile up. Considered choices often go out of the window. And since the pandemic, and now with a frightening rise in living costs, as Rachel referred to in the prayer, many more are having to choose between feeding their families or heating their homes. Because we live in a fallen world, there are always unscrupulous people who are ready to take advantage of those who are struggling. But the people of Israel returned from exile in Babylon to their crumbling city of Jerusalem found themselves in not a dissimilar situation. If you picture the scenes, for example, of the devastation in Ukraine from the places where Russian troops have now withdrawn, you will have a picture of something like the ruins of Jerusalem, to which many of those who'd been in exile in Babylon had returned to their homeland and their city. That was the experience of the people of God in Nehemiah's day. And their leaders were so preoccupied with the rebuilding of the city walls that they hadn't really noticed the growing crisis around them. So what relevance does this have for us in 
the 21st century church today? Well, the answer is plenty. And it's all to do with presence, which is the title of my sermon this morning. God's presence and our presence. But let's first go to Nehemiah, who emerged, of, who emerged as the leaders of those trying to rebuild their lives. And first of all, consider the huge problem that he faced. Now, Anne read to us in the first verse of Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their Jewish brothers. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Please note the mention of wives and daughters. A sure sign that whole families were actually starving. And you can guarantee that the women came off worst. We've just heard from the gender-based violence team, some of the things that they're planning. Now, whilst there were many loving men amongst the Jewish people, and the Jewish law did try to protect the position of women and children, nevertheless, in biblical times, women were very much second-class citizens. In fact, even in Jewish law, both women and children were seen more as possessions than people. Now, that seems shocking to us today, but that is a historical fact. But by contrast, if you move forward a few thousand years to the time of Jesus and his disciples, you will find that amongst his closest followers, there were a group of women, as well as the 12 recognized disciples. And so, following Jesus' example, it is our responsibility as his 21st century followers to ensure that all are equal before God, regardless of gender, regardless of age. Now, I could, of course, go on to say you need to read men are from Mars and women are from Venus to say that there are differences between men and women, and if you doubt me, just ask a man who is a husband if his wife looks nice in something from the fat wardrobe or something from the thin wardrobe, and you'll know a man who doesn't know what to say, whereas a woman would always know. But to be more serious, back to Nehemiah. Why were some starving? Why was the position of women so difficult? Well, Anne read to us in verses 4 and 5, others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. And still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax. That's to the emperor in the, uh, the Babylonian Empire, which had been taken over by the Persians. And pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now, the passage goes on to explain that these struggling families were being forced to sell their children into slavery. 
Jewish law did permit that after a debt had been owed for more than six years, the debtor or members of his family could be sold as slaves for a time in order for the debt to be paid, but then they could be bought back in the year of Jubilee. But it's clear from this passage that a great deal of mistreatment and rule-bending and law-bending had been going on. Of course, nothing like that would ever happen in the Church of Scotland today, would it? Wouldn't it? Years ago, when I was training, I did a placement with a minister whom, well, let us say I found it hard to like. There was something about him. I and the student deaconess, who was also on placement, were invited to the manse for Sunday lunch after the service. And both of us noticed that his wife, her hands were trembling as she was serving us at the table. And then instructed by her husband to pour some orange juice, as she trembled, she spilt it all over the table. Clean that up! He hissed. If looks could kill, she would have dropped dead at that very moment. I was horrified, absolutely horrified, and so was my fellow student. And we talked about it afterwards, and, well, in our naivety, I think, we probably concluded he was just a bit of a bully. But looking back, I'm pretty certain something more sinister was going on. If anyone here is experiencing that kind of treatment at home, anyone watching online, or if you know anyone, or even if you're scared, as Angela was saying about walking along the streets, please speak to Scott or another member of the gender-based violence team. Please do not suffer in silence. But back to Nehemiah. What did he and the other leaders do about the injustice that was experienced by ordinary people? What about, secondly, the politicians? When Nehemiah heard about all of this, he was angry. But then, as Anne read, calling a large meeting to challenge his fellow leaders, he confronted them about their use of charging interest at unfair rates. The older versions of the NIV use the word usury. I had to go and look that up in the dictionary, actually. But it's charging interest at an unfair rate. What was the reaction of the politicians? Anne read in verse 8, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say, because they knew they were guilty. Would that some of today's politicians would say nothing rather than try and justify wrong actions only to dig a bigger hole for themselves. But by contrast, Nehemiah didn't shirk the truth. 
by, he realized that being by so concerned with the rebuilding of the city wall, in some ways he was complicit in the injustice because he had not noticed what was happening. And that is the difference that having the presence of God can have in the life of a politician or a leader. Now, we all know that our queen will be celebrating or is celebrating her platinum jubilee. She is a constitutional monarch, not a politician. But her integrity, which stems from her faith in Jesus, has shone through her entire life. Now, I don't know if you're a Republican or not. I'm not going into that. I'm not, by the way. Nail my colors to the mast. But what a contrast our queen presents to some of our leading politicians because of the presence of God in her life. In today's Western culture, we have a, what we call a culture of blame. We blame the politicians. We blame the media. We blame the people out there, everybody but ourselves, conveniently forgetting that well as, as well as rights, all of us have responsibilities. We all need to play our part. We all need to be the presence of God, not just the politicians. But as a leader, Nehemiah played his part. He came up with, thirdly, a plan. He ensured that not just the other leaders, but all those in positions of financial power gave back straight away ordinary people's property along with the unfair interest they'd been charging. The leaders agreed and as a sign of their agreement and God's judgment if they did not keep their word, as Anne read, Nehemiah shook out his robe. And of course it goes on to describe how he and those who worked for him made sure that they too treated others fairly. And to all of this, the whole assembly said, Amen. Just like you and I do in church. Do you know that the word Amen literally means, let it be so? But none of it will be so unless we show Jesus' love, as well as talk about it. And it's not just the responsibility of the minister or the Kirk session, it's our collective responsibility. Now, just now, the Church of Scotland and its General Assembly is very preoccupied with plans, plans for restructuring presbyteries and parish reappraisal. I know you've been doing this in Bray's and you've tackled it in the best way possible. I'm ashamed to say that some of the churches in the Labatt area were not as open. Mine was, others weren't. And any of, if any of them are listening, pay attention. If we become so preoccupied with plans and forget to be the presence of Jesus, not just in our churches, but out there 
in the community, then we are falling short of our calling. Our calling. Not just Scott, not just the Kirk Session, but all of us. I asked Scott about some of your plans in Brighton's about reaching out to the community. Rachel mentioned in the prayer the SU group in Wallastone Primary. Scott's the chaplain there. He's one of the chaplains at Bray's High School. These are all wonderful things. There's plans too afoot, I gather, for a youth worker. But if any, especially of you older members, and I can address you as an older member now, if anyone is thinking, why do we need a youth worker when we've got a young minister? Scott cannot do everything. There is a huge shortage of ministers in the Church of Scotland. So a youth worker is an excellent idea. The Larbert Church has worked in conjunction with Scripture Union Scotland to form a trust, Larbert Church's Youth Trust, that now employs one full-time and one part-time schools workers. And my own congregation, my former congregation, now employs a part-time parish outreach worker. And I cannot tell you the difference it has made, not just to the schools, but to the parish. People outside the church buildings actually understand that the people inside really care. There's something different. These are the things that you as a congregation have in your plans to be the presence of God. The days of flinging wide the church doors and saying, come on in, we're a wonderful church, and you are wonderful. You really are. They're gone. People walk on by. The days of the 99 sheep in the fold and going out to find the one are gone too, because actually there's about four or five left in the fold, and the other 90-odd are outside. They need to be met. You need to be the presence of God. You need to show Jesus' love. And then invite them in. So Nehemiah's problem of social injustice, ruining people's lives, and the complicity of the politicians led him to plan to right the wrongs. And what was needed then is needed now in 21st century Western culture, but the Church of Scotland especially needs to concentrate especially on finding, rediscovering the presence of God. And we, as the church, are called to be his presence to others. Where do we start? Right here, of course. Because God uses our experiences to shape and form us into the people that he wants us to be. And so, finally, you'll be pleased to know, what happened to that young teacher with whom we began? Well, God used his experiences too. 
because well over 42 years later, he's standing right in front of you. And if he can use me, believe me, he can use all of you even more. Please be the presence of God. Amen.